This is the Mark Podcast from Lifeway Women. We're your hosts, Elizabeth Heineman and Kelly King. Each episode, we'll talk about what God is doing, how He has and is marking each of us. Sometimes that will be through interviews, and sometimes we'll have conversations around the table. We're so glad you've joined us today. Has God called you to lead? Whether you've been a leader for years and are looking for new strategies, tools, and encouragement, or you want to explore your call to leadership, Lifeway Women offers training events that equip you to carry out your mission. We offer one-day and three-day leadership training in a variety of cities throughout the U.S. and online. We'd love to have you join us this year. Learn more at lifeway.com forward slash women's events. Welcome to the Mark Podcast. I am Elizabeth Heineman, and I am here with my co-host, Kelly King. Hey, Kelly. Hey, Elizabeth. It's good to be back. I wish people could actually see us today because we actually dressed kind of alike. We both we have on jean jackets and olive and black, and I'm not sure how that happened. And <laughs> I don't know what that says about us, but I'm really, really excited to talk about our subject today and to have our special guest, Amy Whitfield. I think it says that we're just on trend. That's what I feel like it says. Well, you know? I've no, I've never been accused of that. So, yes. <laughs> yeah, so we're really excited to have Amy on. Amy, let's just get started. Tell us about yourself and your family and the work that you do. All right. Uh, yes, my name is Amy Whitfield. I am very excited to be on. I have been a fan of you guys for a long time. So um, it was a, a real honor to get to get to be part of the conversation. Um, but I live in North Carolina, but I'm a native Tennessean, Nashvilleian, actually. And so I love whenever I get to be in your city, uh, because it's my home. And uh, but but I lived in North Carolina now for several years. My husband is the provost at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, which is where I got my master's degree. And so I'm uh, very, very proud of that school. And we live just a couple of blocks from campus. It's wonderful. We have two children. We have a 17-year-old daughter and a 15-year-old son. So we're in that phase of looking at colleges and having a third car in the family, which I learned that the first week you're really anxious about your child being out on the road and really seven days later, you're asking, Hey, can you go pick something up for me at the store? I mean, it, it like opens up a whole new world for you. So that's kind of where we are. We have a couple of dogs and it's, it is great. We love our life there. Um, but I work, I've worked for pretty much my entire career thus far for about 21 and a half years off and on, uh, some part-time, some full-time for for entities of the Southern Baptist Convention. So I've worked for Southern Seminary in Louisville, for Lifeway, for Southeastern Seminary. And now I serve at the Executive Committee of the Southern Baptist Convention, where I'm the Associate Vice President for Convention Communications. So that that's what I do. It's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. And, yes. Yeah. And Southeastern, I mean, all of our seminaries, have beautiful campuses and have unique perspectives, but I love the magnolia trees at Southeastern. Yes. There is a beautiful campus, so yeah, I'm a little jealous really that you're there for sure. Yes. Well, we're going to talk a little bit about the Southern Baptist Convention today, and because Lifeway actually is part is 
an entity of the SBC. And so even though we know that a lot of our listeners are not part of the Southern Baptist Convention, we thought it might be a good chance for them to get to know a little bit about who we are and a little bit about what the convention does. And so the annual meeting, as this particular episode is dropping, we are getting ready to go into the SBC annual meeting. And so let's talk about that, what that is. You're the expert. You wrote the book, SBC FAQs, um, which I love giving that to people who don't really know a lot about who we are. And so it's just a great resource for them. So Tell us a little bit about what is the SBC. Well, I love hearing that you give the book out because our whole goal in writing it, my co-author Keith Harper um, and I, our whole goal was to help people understand the system so that they could get involved in it. And uh, it it is a a sort of a multi-layered system that it's hard to know exactly how to plug in. But what the SBC is, is it is a a group, uh, it's a body or a network, essentially, collective of like-minded local churches who want to cooperate together to reach the world with the gospel. So these are churches that have common threads of, you know, doctrinal consensus. Um, Styles are going to vary, but there's still sort of a general, you know, commonality there. But the one thing that really unites them is that they want to cooperate together for missions. Um, And so they, it's really churches who have decided we can do more together than we can do apart. Uh, so the churches are still autonomous. This isn't a hierarchy with any level, you know, over the churches, but it, the churches are actually coming together saying, we want to be able to reach the ends of the earth. We want to be able to reach the ends of the earth so we can kind of pool our resources do that together. So the annual meeting, it's more than just a conference. You know, it's a, we, we certainly listen to sermons and have speakers, but there are decisions that have to get made. And so you have thousands of people coming together, messengers from their local churches, which is kind of like delegates, representatives, things like that. We, the messengers is a very specific term that we like to use. But the messengers come and they are actually voting. They're raising ballots in the air. They're debating things on the floor of a very specific way that we that we do it. Uh, our biggest gathering one year, it was in 1985, was over 45,000 people getting together to make decisions. And uh, at, at least that we know of, I believe it's the largest deliberative body on record, like the the largest group that ever came together to to do something like that. So... So it's a, it's an important thing. So that convention's only in session for those two days, but the rest of the year, the entities like the ones that I listed that I work for, like Lifeway are doing the work that the churches have initially, have essentially said they want them to do. And you've actually served as in an office, particular kind of position at the annual meeting for several years um, as an assistant parliamentarian. And I know a lot of people are like, I don't really care about that kind of stuff, but you have loved that. And talk a little bit about how that has, you were the first woman to really serve in this role, which I think is kind of a big deal. Right. I, I was, I, I did that starting in 2016. And so I did it for four years. I will not be doing it this year because of the job that I have. So I can't, I can't do both. So, um, so I won't be on stage, you know, helping with the procedure, but it, you know, it's, it's amazing how God works. You know, that is something understanding systems and how they work and procedures, Robert's rules of order, which is just so to some people, it's really boring until they're in a meeting and they have to figure out how to use them. And then they love the people who know Robert's rules. 
And it was something that I, things I was involved in in high school and college used that. And so I had to learn in order to do those activities. And it just, in my brain, it just worked. It was logical. I, I loved it. It's one of those things though, that you think this will never come to anything. It won't ever really benefit me in, in life. And then just through a series of events and, and getting to know people, it popped up. It was something that was an opportunity in 2016. And so it, it, it has been something I have loved and it was an exciting thing to be the first female. It really was that, that year. Yeah. And I think that that's something that, like you said, we do still use. And I'm actually in a month, no, a quarterly meeting where we use Robert's rules of order. And I'm always thankful for the people because right. that's even more challenging when you're on zoom than it is in the room to like do all the yes. seconded and I make a motion and all of those kinds of things. So it's interesting. Right. And it, and yeah. And it's one of those things that seems, like I said, kind of nerdy and why do we need it? But it's designed to keep the decision-making system fair. And it's designed to make an even playing field for everyone, no matter who you are. Uh, you have, you know, I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of times people don't, don't get to do what they want to do because we run out of time or it's first come first serve, but there's no hierarchy in a Robert's rules situation. It really is. It, the, the floor is there for everyone. And so when you have something that big, you got to have, got to have rules. Yeah. So it's, it, it's pretty great. I appreciate yep. that. So one thing that you mentioned is the cooperative program. So tell us a little bit more about what the cooperative program is. Sometimes in really Baptisty environments, we just call it the CP. So um, for our listeners who may right. not be as familiar with that. So just let, tell us a little bit more about that and what it does and what it is. Yeah. So the cooperative program is essentially, it's just, it's a funding mechanism and it is the unified plan of giving. That's kind of what we call it through which the cooperating churches give, they give a percentage of their receipts, their undesignated receipts, and they send it to their state convention and it gets used for ministries in the state disaster relief. Some, some states have children's homes, things like that. It gets used for those ministries. And then a portion goes on uh, to the national level, to the SBC to go out to mission and ministries for the Southern Baptist Convention. And so it's kind of a, you know, a mathematical system of how it gets there. But it's a really special thing. You know, it's about to turn 100. It started in 1925. And it came out of a, a situation they were having. The Southern Baptist Convention had been in place already, and they were working together. But all of the entities were having to go to churches individually to fundraise, to ask for money. And you'd have a one institution that would kind of be in some trouble, they'd have to scurry around and churches would come to their aid and then another one and it would kind of switch back and forth. So at some point they had the idea to do what they call the 75 million campaign and they were trying to reach $75 million in five years to distribute to all the entities and put them in a good financial place. So what happened is it became what I like to call, this is a, a term that started in NASA with Apollo 13. It's a successful failure in that it failed at its original goal, but it became a success. And the 75 million campaign, they did not reach their goal, but what they learned was that they had a way to work together. And so they turned that into something that had a longer 
uh, shelf life than five years. And they said, let's put something in place that has posterity, that this is the way we can pool our resources. So they set this thing up and it's, it's pretty amazing how it, how it works. And so you put a dollar in the collection plate and it goes to your church and then your church takes a portion of that and sends that to the state. The state uses what they need to use and sends a portion of that on. And so then part of that dollar in the collection plate ends up going to the other side of the world to put a missionary on the field. And so it's an actual tangible way that our churches are able to do more together than they can do apart. And it happens pretty quickly too. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think in 10 days from the time that maybe your church sends that offering, is that about right? Something like that. Yeah. So it, it, you know, it goes through the different levels, but like when, when, uh, when a check comes in, it immediately gets distributed back out. You know, it's not like it builds up over the year and then all of a sudden. I mean, we we have actual, you know, people in our, our office, there's somebody on our team that that's what she does. She says, I split up the pie. I get the, I get the, the checks in and I send them yeah. out. And so it is truly all the time supporting the ministries, the missions and ministries of the convention. That's so amazing. It really is. Okay, we're going to pivot a little bit, and we're going to talk a little bit about what you have done, and really a lot of what you've done through your career is in communications. And so this has been an amazing year of trying to figure out through journalism and communication, what do we believe, what do we not believe, um, what do we, you know, how do we take in news, things like that, social media, all that. So give us a little advice for the our listeners of how do we really kind of process information. What's some good advice on that? This is so hard and it's hard for me, especially because I have to keep my head in it all the time. So I'm reading so many things and uh, we really have a different world now. It's almost like there's just white noise all the time. You're, you're getting your news at very fast pace. Um, it used to be that you'd get it in the morning in a newspaper and you'd watch it in the evening on television. And those people who were delivering the news really did the work of letting us know what was most important. Well, now when it comes through on a Twitter feed or a Facebook feed, um, we're really left to discern, is it real? Is it true? Is it important? Uh, and we have to do all that in a matter of seconds. So, you know, one thing I encourage people is uh, we are at a stage where you can't take anything at face value. You have to dig in. You've got to click on that headline. You have to read and see what is this news source? What work have they done to verify this? Um, and if you see two sort of competing stories, um, then you either have to dive in and do your own research, or you have to leave it in the Lord's hands and say, I'm not sure which one is right, but I will, I will trust. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm a researcher, so I'm one that is going to do the work to learn, you know, what is real to try to verify, to see if there are multiple sources, you know, sharing this. Um, but I always have to really balance it out um, with a lot of, of prayer and a lot of breathe, deep breathing and just trying to have peace because anxiety can come from all of it. But I think the important thing with all the news that we are receiving now, especially a lot of um, negative news, is that um, scripture it, it becomes vital in that because it remind us, reminds us what the real truth is. It reminds us what is really happening in the world. Um, I need to know when I'm reading about 
global pandemics and national politics and tragedies, and I'm reading about, you know, difficult, just difficult situations, I need to be reminded of the work that God is doing in the world. I need to be reminded of a kingdom that He came um, to bring. And that that is a the centering thing. I mean, it is the thing that can kind of counteract what uh, uncertainty we can get from the stories. Yeah. But uh, we, I, I have to stay grounded in that. But then I do have to recognize if I'm going to consume the news, then I have to do the work of mm. of really trying to to verify what is real and what isn't. And that's that's hard. That's hard. Especially before you just like reshare something, you know. And yes. Do it yes, so most definitely. And I don't. I'm very careful at this stage uh, of of participating on social media. I don't share anything that I don't know for certain. Um, and I even have. I'm at a season in my life where if I'm going to interact on social media, it's either because I have something that I feel I really need to say and express and that I have thought a lot about. I sit on things for several hours, uh, maybe even several days before I say them um, because I need to see if the moment's going to pass, you know, if it's still really that important. Or I just share beautiful things or fun things, pictures of my dogs, you know, uh, things like that. I have, I have learned that I don't have to be the one that shares everything really quick. It's okay. You know, if I'm not, and, uh, that has been, uh, that's brought me a lot of peace. So, yes, I think I'm in a similar boat where I have just gotten to the point where I'm like, I'm just not even retweeting a lot of things just because I'm like, the world doesn't necessarily need my opinion on this. So that's right. So we're just gonna, yeah, just let it go. Yeah, exactly. So um, while we're on this topic, we know a lot of women work in similar fields. So in communications, in journalism and things like that. And this has been a year for all of us. And like you said, the anxiety of just reading the news is one thing. But then especially for our women and men who work in these fields, it has been a very discouraging year, year and a half now almost like, and so, um, or even longer. So how would you encourage those women? And then what are some things that people that are not in those fields, what are some things that they can do to encourage or pray for those who work in those areas? Right. So my biggest encouragement would be uh, to make sure that you have team members or friends in the field that you can talk to, reach out to peers um, that are just like-minded. One thing that happens in journalism and communications is you really are, you are inundated with what ends up being a lot of negative stuff or a lot of tragic things. And, you know, you have to remember those who are reading the story, you're only reading a small percentage of what that writer has had to dig into. And so, as negative as it may seem what you're reading, they have probably had to process even worse, you know, they, and, and they've had to spend a lot of time. It can get in your head. And so um, learning how to not, you know, not be alone to find, find people uh, to, to kind of walk with you. Breaking away is really important because one thing that folks in journalism and communications do is we're on social media all the time. We're on it more than the average person. And so learning how to get away from that too. I read a lot more paper books than I used to. I used to be, I was, I love eBooks because I can kind of take them with me, but I have learned I got to get away from screens. I've got to get away from sort of notifications and things because I'm just in it all the time. Um, And honestly, I think 
you really do have to pay attention to your emotions and kind of balance out. I don't ever want to be at a place where the stories, the, especially the, the difficult ones, where they don't affect me. Like I, I want that, that's part of, of who I am. And then that's part of even the way we look at the world and care for the world as believers that I, I, I want to still be affected and to have the compassion and, you know, all of those things that it stirs in me, but I also have to then walk away from things for a little while. So breaks and rest and all of that is is really important because in order to be able to tell the story, well, you have to, you have to really get your head into it. Um, but there's a lot of fatigue that comes from that. And so, um, I think people can pray for those in communications and journalism, uh, one that they would stay strong in, in all that they're hearing and experiencing. And then there's a lot of pressure now to get the story, right. You know, to, to, if you make a, if you make one mistake, I mean, one sentence being off can really cause a lot of harm. And we know that we recognize it as we are, are getting ready to hit publish on something. And, um, there's a lot of pressure that comes, comes with that. And so really praying for those of us who work in it, that, that we will be able to speak truth, that we will, that we will know what is right and that we will put it, put it out correctly. Um, I think that's the, that's the best way. That's a really good encouragement. It really is, Amy. Okay. I'm going to throw something out at you because you mentioned books. I know that you have a special interest in the first ladies. I do. And and so I know you have a lot of biographies of first ladies. Yes. Tell us a little bit about that and like how many how many biographies do you have? And so, how did you get interested in this? Okay, so I'm pushing probably around 80 right now of just first ladies. Um, I, I haven't counted lately and I've gotten several new ones, but it may have even gotten over 80. So um, my dad is a, he, he is a great... Um, traveler, I guess, when he, when I was growing up, whenever he had a conference and they were all over the country, his convention every year, he would plan our vacations around wherever his conference was going to be. And he's a history buff. And so we would hit a lot of presidential libraries or presidential birthplaces. So when we would go to those places, my brother, they would always get him, you know, a book about the president. And I just, you know, I was, it was brother and sister that, and, and they would usually be something about the first lady. And so that's what they would do. They would get something for him. They would get something for me. And I just sort of got captivated by studying the first ladies. And then I would have some of the books that would have all of their portraits and stuff. And it just became a thing for me from when I was like seven. And uh, so it's been my whole life. And then over the years, as I would hit used bookstores, I would go to the history section and I would just try to build that collection up. Now, I have not been able to read all of them, I have to confess, because sometimes, I mean, I there was a used bookstore in San Diego, California, where, I mean, I hit like the mother I got like 20 that were, you know, $2 a piece or whatever. And so you, you just send them all home in a box and then you've got all these books, you, you know, you have to get through, but it's, it, I, I got a lot of years left. I'm, I'm working through them. Um, my favorites are, uh, Grace Coolidge. She's an incredible first lady. Very, very cool and fun. Um, Barbara Bush, I was, I'm a huge Barbara Bush fan and, and her biographies, her memoirs she, she wrote too are, are just incredible. And so I, what I want is at least something on every single first lady, but we have a few that, 
that very obscure. So there, no one's ever done a book about just, you know, them. So I have to kind of get other sources that tell something about them, you know. Um, so it's kind of weird, but I love it. I just love it. So they, and, it and, yeah, and these are women who made an impact, every single one of them, in, uh, from, from their place of influence. And it's pretty neat to see through the years um, the, the impact that they made on the country. And a lot of folks don't even know those stories. So it, it, it's a cool thing. That is really cool. And I think, um, I think our families would have vacationed well together because yeah. I, we instead went to all the little houses, like from the little house <gasps> on the prairie. That's series. my dream. Yes, that is my I've been, dream to do that. I've been to all of them. And so <laughs> that's like the kind of vacations yeah. that we I took as a kid. Yep. So I feel like that would have been, that would have worked well together. So um, one question that we always ask, and you know it's coming, is uh, what is one thing that has marked you in your walk with Christ? Um, okay, so I think one thing that has marked me in my walk with Christ is... My testimony is very different from a lot of a lot of people. Um, at least it seems like it. It is in that I I grew up in a very it was a very committed church going family. But I am a, I am a rule follower. Like I said, I'm a researcher. I want to know everything that you're supposed to do. And so I really took in um, I really took in the gospel in a way of thinking it was about what I had to do. And so, I mean, I know a lot of people have that experience, but when I became uh, a believer, when I really understood the gospel, um, I have been so struck throughout my adult life. Uh, Cause I was 18 when it clicked, I always call it, it was like a piece of a jigsaw puzzle. And the last piece came in, a friend just said a random thing that all of a sudden I was like, now it makes sense. Christ did this for me. Um, years later, when I was reading the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector, and I read how Christ was saying, you know, the Pharisee is saying, I thank you that I'm not like this, you know, tax collector. And then the tax collector is saying, you know, God have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, which one, you know, is more. And, uh, I realized that what he was saying is I, I came for this other person. And I look in the story and I, I see myself in the Pharisee and the fact that, um, that Christ came for me anyway, that he saved me from that. I have never been able to get over that. Like it, it just wrecked me that, um, that I knew who he was in my earliest memory. I don't remember a time when I had not heard his name, but I did not understand, I did not understand him and he found me, he found me anyway. And, um, that really, that, that's a lot of the lens that I see my life through. Um, and so in my walk with Christ, I really see, um, I really see what he did in my heart. And, um, and so when I read scripture and, uh, and I've been more encouraged by scripture over the last year than ever, like it has meant more to me. I have felt at the end of myself with everything that we have seen and, and been going on and that I actually find myself thinking, this is the only thing that I, tr that I trust. Um, but I look at that and I, I see that as my story and I'm absolutely amazed that, that I sit where I do now. 
you know. Um, so I, I don't know if that answers your question, but that's what I would say. I think it's a beautiful story. Yes. And I, I love hearing just how the Lord just draws people to himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, it never ceases to amaze me. I'm always yeah. just, it's a fresh just a reminder of what Jesus did for each of us. And so yeah. thank you for sharing that, Amy. I really appreciate that. Yes, well, thank you. it's about time for us to wrap up this episode. And we do, we were praying for you, Amy, and thank you for all the work that, that you do. And we're so appreciative of just your leadership and how God's going to continue to use you. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. All right, listeners. Well, thanks for joining us again this week, and we will see you next week. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to join in on the conversation, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Kelly D. King and at E.D. Heineman. Use the hashtag Marked Podcast to connect with us. You can also find Lifeway Women on all social media channels at Lifeway Women. All of today's show notes will be posted at LifewayWomen.com slash podcast. If you love the show, leave an iTunes review. It's a great way for other people to hear about the podcast. We'll see you next time.